the show. I'm so happy that you guys are here with me again for another episode. Honored to have been on William Ramsey's show as he is on mine. He released the episode we recorded on Friday the 9th on his show, and I am here on the 11th releasing it for you guys. And it's it's an amazing episode. I know I say that every time, but it, I'm honest. William Ramsey is an attorney, author, and researcher. You know, he graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, has his degree in history. He's also on the State Bar of California. He has his JD. He's written a number of books and has a really successful podcast. Been a part of some of the stranger things when it comes to murder, mysteries, and dealing with the occult, and man, just diving into the smiley face killers, a lot of stuff that goes under the radar for most people. He's on the front lines of it in many different ways. This is an awesome show. We both kind of chop it up and enjoy each other's company, to say the least. How he delivers his information, the level of research he's put in, his academics. <laughs> this is a really great episode. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into this episode. You guys are going to love it. Let's go. Well, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you, man. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. I really like your approach. I think you're covering a wide spectrum of topics. And it's, in my opinion, it's really important to tackle some of these popular topics because there's a lot, there's a broad spectrum of, you know, people that are getting lost in bad information. Really, at the end of the day, I just ask a lot of questions. I'm a learner. <laughs> and, Me too. Uh, I am too. I'm enamored with your approach, man. And I feel like there's a lot I can learn from you. I wanted to you know, just ask you some personal questions about like how you came to be where you are today, like a little bit of what your journey looked like and advice for, you know, a younger guy who is trying to wade through a million messages and a million signals that are causing a lot of confusion and chaos in the days that we live in. That's well said. I mean, these are the days. Of, I was actually thinking that writing a paper called The Age of Chaos yesterday, definitely in the age of chaos and confusion. My path was kind of like I was not my neither of my parents had college degrees, and I went the route of trying to kind of really, at a certain point, I knew I didn't know very much, so I really tried to work on my academics. Mm. I was very fortunate to graduate from college, law school in D.C., mm. and I learned a lot there from the inside. I really was very much a provincial and very naive and saw how it really worked, very corrupt, and a lot of inside dealing. A lot of murder, frankly. So it really changed kind of my view. I got done with that, passed the bar in 98, mm. uh, really lost. I understood at that time that the corporate media was completely owned and fake. So oh. that was kind of a good thing to realize at an early, earlier age, you know, before I was 30. So that led me to, to really read on my own, analyze on my own, and also look for other people who are doing that as well. So I was really kind of reading stuff earlier. Some guys are still around, but when I was in D.C., I read this guy, Mike Rivero, who was also kind of uh, involved in something. I was He wasn't involved. He was an analyzer of the death of Vince Foster, which I was literally involved with. But uh, wow. so I was following him. So I've actually followed that guy for like almost a quarter century now. I also used to read a guy by the name of Justin Raimondo, who, who son, uh, unfortunately passed away, that he wrote for antiwar.com, which is still around. And he wrote great articles, and I was a huge 
reader of him while I was there. And then 9-11 happened, and I kind of believed that. I should I should have been much more critical looking back, but I was, I was dumb and naive. So then eventually, like 2003, 2004, I realized that story was bogus, and my government's lying to me. What else they're lying about is actually kind of scary. And uh, so I really went down the, the kind of 9-11 research and was always researching everything. Like, I really just, I still don't trust the corporate media. I'm kind of curious what's on TV, but I know it's like vicious propaganda. As vicious as anything in China or Russia. Meant to confuse. I mean, there's all kinds of psychological conditioning that they're putting in there to make you confused and actually give you kind of dread and despair. Mm -hmm. That's the subtext. It's not that you can get ahead, but they really put you in a passive kind of thing. So I, I actually, without really being conscious of it, became a more active purveyor of information. Like, what do I find out next? Who can I trust? Mm -hmm. these books? So I was reading often. And so then I, I just kind of started the, the numerology. I never thought I'd be a book writer. My law career, I was bored. I hated, I don't really like lawyers. And uh, <laughs> I just didn't have any passion for it. So I just led me to kind of like after, th those were like gestational years of trying to figure stuff out. And then I had enough information once I was researching to write my first book published that, self-published 2010. And it was kind of a real learning experience. A lot of these publishers are shysters. Uh, I would actually trust somebody who would try to play three-card Monty with me more than some of these publishers, <laughs> and even Christian ones. Like the Christian ones are just as bad, but we can go down that whole story. When somebody says they're a Christian to me, it's just like, I just go, well, I don't care. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> it could just be just as bad as another scoundrel. So anyway, 2010 first book, 2012 second book, 2014 third book. Then in 2017, I made my documentary about the Smiley Face Killer. So I was really, those are all things about being frustrated with people not really doing quality investigative. And then I started working for Ed. I was actually doing interviews for Ed Opperman really in 2012, 2013. And that kind of just morphed naturally into me kind of getting guests for him. And mm -hmm. it was kind of fun because I actually got to reach out and send emails and talk to people that I admire, like, hey, Ed, you should have this guy on your show. And I, I, you know, and then Ed and I kind of, I split from Ed in 2020 okay. after all the riots and stuff like that. I still like Ed as a person. He's a great person. I mean, I really mean that. Like, I wouldn't have worked with him for that long if I thought he was a jerk. I just, I just really don't like the partisanship to me. If I, somebody doesn't agree, it doesn't mean I'm against your party. Mm. Like, people, like, if I disagree with them, like, they, I'm immediately a Trump lover or something like that. That's far it's not even close to the truth. I believe in the effective transfer of power. And a lot of people don't. And they don't in this generation. It's really sad. Like we're in deep trouble. So anyway, it's 2017, first documentary, pandemic 2020. And I put out a lot of documentaries within those three-year periods. So I have five documentaries on Vimeo on a variety of subjects people didn't want to talk about, want to talk about. My first actual two documentaries, I forget this. I'm not trained in, in arts <laughs> or digital arts or anything like that. So I made two really embarrassing documentaries in 2020. One was Prophet of Evil. The other was a Cult Hollywood. I kind of re-upped the Cult Hollywood and made a Cult Hollywood 2. And then I may have those two documentaries on the Smiley Face Killers. And then the visual kind of aspects of my other books. So Prophet of Evil, I made a documentary mm -hmm. on Children of the Beast. Those are all on Vimeo. And then I also have a smaller book called Alistair Crowley, A Visual Study, yep. which is kind of like looking at the pictures of Crowley. So for people who are kind of more visual er uh, learners, they can look at that. But I, that was kind of an interesting exercise. I should really update that if I have time. So it's been an interesting journey. I think I really was, I mean, when I first was starting kind of my inquiry into kind of looking into the occult, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't very popular. It was, I was kind of like um, a leper or something. Like it's not. It's not. <laughs> I have decent uh, academic credentials, but it's not really. And at that point, wasn't really a acceptable kind of line of inquiry. And I think that's changed a lot now. Twenty twenty two, twelve years. People are really, we're swimming in the occult. Like to say that you're not like that's the most common religion now. I don't know if it's Christianity, but uh, I think it's important to look at that and look at the ideas. And ideas and ideology do lead to out, actions and outcomes. So if somebody's an occultist, they're going to make different decisions than somebody who's a Buddhist or Jewish or Muslim or Christian. So that's kind of like the long, long haul journey. And I think that that was it. I would not really be doing what I was doing if I didn't have like decades of frustration with the mass media or the corporate media, like just screaming at the TV or why aren't you guys going into this? And even a lot of the journalists are kept. A lot of the well-known journalists and these big magazines, New York Times, Washington Compost, these are like state functionary type uh, things that people don't really realize. They, th- they look at them as independent, but a lot of those guys are going to cocktail parties or they've been compromised, sex compromised. You know, that was actually very calm, much more common in D.C. at that time than I knew, 95 mm. to 90. So there were secret parties and strange kind of events. What was like the first thing that happened when you were in D.C. that kind of like flipped that switch and opened your eyes where you started going, hold on, something's wrong here. That's a good question. I got there in 95 and I just thought like, hey, this is a city on a hill. I had all the learning that I got from the state schools and my high school. And I really was, I know I'd known about JFK or things like that, but I didn't know how vicious the fights were. They were I mean, they really mm. do kill people. There's a lot of people who died there mysteriously. Vince Foster was just one of many people who got murdered or just suspiciously died. But I think the first thing that I had, just like little things, like my wife worked for a congressman. So I was around a lot of those office buildings back in the day. And there was one office building that there were, I mean, there was one guy from Oregon that you weren't supposed to send women into his office. And they actually, (laughs) I was there helping my wife and they're like, Hey, William, go give this to him. And I was like, Okay, so I just walked over there. Yeah, this is for Bob, and I left. And but I didn't understand that the guy was like a serial abuser, like a octopus women, at like you know really kind of in the most venal way, like really bad. Wow. And then he ended up getting busted. I forgot his name. He's out of Oregon, but like he would like try to French kiss him like that, like that bad. So. And so there were, so I was like, oh, wow. So there's some sketchy things here. There was another one. I was not a rich kid. I came from, you know, I didn't, I came from a middle-class background. Maybe it's a good way, maybe upper middle-class, but I certainly wasn't a rich kid, but I worked during law school. I was working at this one Mexican restaurant that was on the hill. It was, I can't remember the name of it. It was like Baja Cantina. You know, I was served, I would serve lunches and stuff like that. And one of the congressmen from Florida came in and he ordered two like triple scotches for lunch. And his nose was sweat. Like, I could see the sweat coming out of his nose. And I was like, wow, this is really weird. Like, I'm used to seeing these people all cleaned up. Yeah. This guy looks like he could be sleeping on a park bench. And he was a congressman from, like, the Orlando area. And so, like, people, like, all the servers are like, that's Congressman Joe Blow. I forgot his name, too. But uh, so then we looked up his picture. Like, they have all the pictures of the congressman all over the place. So you can look it up on a congressional register and there he is this clean cut guy and we're like man they must just clean his ass up and send him back to the the city and dry him out and then let him come back here and just get hammered all day 
it was incredible. So you, I mean, you see all the news guys that you see on TV are around. So you see that and you see them in more, you know, of just themselves environment. They're not in this kind of like, oh, this is Bob Wilson for ABC. <laughs> so you just kind of see, and you see the lectures and you see kind of people in a, in a much more kind of genuine state. And it, sometimes it really isn't pretty. And uh, it certainly wasn't. So working, I just, I didn't work really on the Vince. I knew his lawyer. I worked for his, I interned for his lawyer for a guy who's involved in the Vince Foster case. Hmm. It was, you just see like people just didn't, they didn't want to cross that line. They were too interested in their careers or their reputation to ever tell the truth about anything. So like, it's almost like the end of American Psycho telling everybody, I am mass murdering people. And everybody goes, Bob, shut up, have a drink. You know, and he's really trying to lay it out at the end. Can't remember oh, wow. the character's name, but uh, Chris, uh, Christian Bale was the actor. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's almost kind of like that. And they're weird conversations, too. People talk a lot about, at least when I was there, about like money laundering, Swiss bank accounts, Luxembourg bank accounts. So, there were clearly tit for tat under the table things happening all the time or very often in my opinion. So, and some people got busted for it while I was there, but uh, I would say it'd be a mix of things that saw things differently, but it was interesting. It was definitely seeing things from inside the beltway was kind of an eye opener. I knew within the first year I was there, I was getting the hell out of DC. I did not want any part of that. It's very, it gets very dark, very super competitive and a lot of blackmail and a lot of uh, people, just the gossip is off the charts. Everybody knows on everything about everybody. And uh, yeah, that's, that's completely different than like the image that's projected to like the rest of the world, you know, like DC white, clean, beautiful buildings, you know, this mega powerhouse here on the, on the world scene. And, you know, I think about my wife, she's been here in America for like 10, 11 years. And the first time she went to DC, she talks about have like having this image in her mind of what, you know, the city would be like, the people would be like, and it's, she's like, never going back, you know, but it's interesting it's to hear, hear your side of it. Like you actually, you're there on the inside. You're kind of like, well, yeah. you have to remember, like I was born in Nebraska. I have a kind of semi Midwestern sensibility. Yeah. So I only saw what I saw on TV. Oh, wow. I think yeah. I'd been there a couple of times just visiting, but I didn't know the, the internal kind of mechanics of how the stuff works and like the past, you know? JFK issue is a real issue. Like that still was an issue when I was there in the nineties. Like mm. who killed JFK? You don't talk about that either. And I had conversations there, very strange conversations where like, I was like the budding conspiracy theorist. I don't know that. I know enough about JFK to know that that story's baloney, but mm. I would be like talking to people like, there's no way that Harley Harvey Oswald could have done it. There were multiple shooters. And I would talk to a guy. I literally remember talking to a guy. He was looking at me like this. Oh, wow. And he so he knew exactly what had happened. He knew what parts of my story were true and which were fake or which I didn't get right. So Mm. they knew people knew people on people who did it. I think the real world word got around like this is what we did to JFK. He got out of line. He really irritated a lot of people, a lot of powerful people. You know, we're about to see the anniversary of 9-11 come up here in in two days and there's been a lot of time since that happened. I remember exactly where I was when 9-11 happened. I actually, I grew up in the Philadelphia area and uh, Southeastern Pennsylvania, and I was in school. And I'll never forget, you know, we had these 
big heavy tube TVs and one was up in the corner of the classroom and I was in history class. It was actually one of my favorite classes. And the teacher walks over and well, first there's a knock on the door and he steps over to the door and the energy in the room just dropped. We could all tell by his demeanor and the look on his face, something, something's not right. And he walks over and I'll never forget. He flips on the TV and the whole classroom sat there silent for know, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's images that are burnt in most all of our minds from that day. But I, I knew there was a shift even as a young kid. I mean, I'm in, geez, I, I think I was intermediate or going into middle school, somewhere, somewhere around that. I'll just never forget the feeling I had. Do you remember where you were? Absolutely. What you were doing when the towers got hit. Can you share that with us? I was at home. I mean, it was in the morning, so I was on the West Coast. And I just remember sitting mm. down on, like, my futon with my future wife. Uh, just sitting. Actually, we were married now. I take it back. Just sitting there watching it. And I actually remember gluing in, but I did not. I could not believe they fell down. So mm. I was watching it. And they said, these towers are falling. I just was like, my mind could not register. I could not register that fact. But I was definitely a true believer. My wife uh, reminds me of that all the time. Like, I really <laughs> fell for the whole story, hook, line, and sinker. It took me a bit to kind of realize there was a lot of problems there. But yeah, no, I definitely remember exactly where I was. I've heard you do episodes um, with other people covering a lot of these details about 9-11. I, you know, I don't want to go into the whole thing here. I know definitely recommending my audience to come over and check out those episodes with you and, and your audience is already going to be aware of it. But there's so many things that line up. And, and this is only a couple of years ago, William, that I became aware of <laughs> the depth <laughs> of things that just kind of prove there's so much more going on here. And then seeing there's not not really healthy information. You're, who do you go to with those kind of questions? And when, you, when you're thinking that, like, what's a solid platform where you can go and ask good questions without some weird occultic ulterior motive of mind that they really want to suck you in. And it's like, hold on, I just want to have a good conversation and get good information on it. So I don't know. It's really hard. Like it's kind of you when you're kind of going after the truth, it's kind of a lonely process. You come to yes. trust certain people who are trying to tell you the truth. Not everybody knows all the details, but mm -hmm. there was a couple people like I like Jones from uh, Utah. I mm. thought he was kind of being honest. And there was another theologian. It was Edward Griffin, I think it was, was his last name. He wrote a lot of books on 9-11. There's some good ones out there. I read. I had a guest on my show, Black 9-11. I think he was doing work. And there was people who got, went into specific parts of it. Some people focused on the problems with the Pentagon. Some people focused on 93, Flight 93, Building 7. Building 7 is really the linchpin for destroying the full cover story. Because there's no way these guys accounted for Building 7. It doesn't fit into the narrative at all. But uh, it's it's not easy. And I think a lot of those introductory groups were probably set up, either set up to be infiltrated or infiltrated. So that, that their effectivity or anything um, productive coming from them, systemically productive, made sure that that would never happen. Are you aware of like ever being shadow banned or have you ever had any issues with talking about that topic? I, I think it was above, I was banned from above top secret in like 10 minutes. Like I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gone. Uh, I don't know if I've been shadow banned in some mm. places. Um, I definitely don't trust anything big tech. I think Google's an evil corporation. I think Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is evil. And I, I don't say that lightly. I think from their actions, he paid $400 million into like some slush fund to, have this outcome, which is, 
uh, Biden's like a Nazi fascist, like a literal Nazi fascist with Nazi fascist imagery. And they get away with it because they're from the left. Like the left can never be fascist. What a joke. Mm-hmm. So I think that these guys have really reshaped outcomes. I think that Trump did himself wrong because of his kind of personality. And actually, he thought he was president. He was kind of like JFK. Like, I think I'm president. I'm going to try to make decisions that are best for everybody. Um, And so they screwed him. And that shows how much power the tech companies have. The reliance upon the technology companies uh, has turned the country into kind of like a dystopia, in my opinion. Kind of like Rollerball, where it's a huge combination of fascist, interrelated fascist power. And I mean real fascist, not the kind of nonsense that the anti-fascist group Antifa talks about, which they mm-hmm. have that language drift, which is also very dangerous. The left is very comfortable with the language drift. And mm-hmm. I have problems with the right too. Like I came I come out of the right. Like I came out of Republican. So I'm not a I'm not a registered Republican anymore. Yeah, not after Bush and be not, not after Bush and 9-11. Yeah. yeah. There should be accountability on both sides. You know, it, Absolutely. It reminds me of, you know, some Thomas Jefferson quotes I was reading recently, and it's I believe there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Personally, I think wisdom comes from the fear of fear of God, you know, being mindful of how we're operating, what the consistency of our life looks like. Right. And people are watching. You can, we can say whatever we want, William, but people are going to look at the rhythm of our life. Right. And that's going to speak way louder than anything else. And when we literally see a million messages and a million signals that are causing all kinds of waves of issues within the battlefield of the mind here in this country, all over the world. But it's like, where do we draw the line and actually like introduce some humbleness and not choose one side or the other, but find that middle ground and say, Hey, I'm inquiring. You're like, I don't really know anything. Like I'm here. I'm trying to learn. I would like to observe, right. I'd like to challenge and be a healthy skeptic, not the kind of skeptic that's trying to prove anything wrong, but like, let's prove this right. And I think that my generation, particularly the millennial generation, we see the technocratic member. The brain is just uh, so sucked down and engulfed into consumerism. What do I look like? How am I perceived? And people are really forgetting the generation before us, my parents' generation. I mean, calloused hands, right? I just did a post recently where I'm like, hey, shout out to all the people with callous hands. You know, this is nothing against the people that that use the, the muscle up top here to make their income or anything, but it's just recognizing that's, that's a shortened window. You know, I'm a factory worker. So I, I've been at a large company for about nine years and, you know, we get raw materials and, and literally dealing with engineers. They have these ideas and they bring us everything and we got to make that happen for them. Right. And that's a dying breed, man. It's hard to get good people into the workforce right now. What I wanted to ask you is what was your biggest influence during, you were talking earlier about, ah, like yelling at the TV, I'm so frustrated. I'm witnessing all of these things going on around me and you're expressing you're upset, right? Did you have an influencer? Was there like, how did you handle that? I don't know. I I know nothing personal. It was just going through Mm -hmm. and really sifting. Yeah, it was like the threshing floor, you know, like you yeah. throw up the seed and the chaff, the chaff <laughs> gets blown away. And there's a lot of chaff out there. There's a lot of these UFO people who are very deceptive. There's a lot of occultists floating around, too, who don't mm-hmm. mind um, deceiving people or, or guiding people down the wrong pathway. There's a lot of some of these Christians, uh, like the televangelist like types, you know, I, th- I think a lot of there's a lot of problems there. <laughs> I mean, some of these dominions are really in it for the money in my mind. 
because if they really were telling the truth, they would focus on a lot of problems, vaccines, uh, corruption. You almost never hear these t uh, Christians in, uh, in power today in the United States complain about all the corruption. I don't. Maybe I'm not paying attention, but I don't hear them because it's super corrupt. We're in like, a, like the most like corrupt I've ever seen in my life. But yeah. uh, I can't really lay, I can't really lay like what I did on anything. I mean, I read, I looked through all of Bill Cooper stuff, you know, so he's one of the original alternative kind of mm -hmm. uh, people looking at things. And I don't like the word people have labeled me as a conspiracy theorist or a conspiracist, or I'm in the conspiracy community. And I reject that term. I would say I'm in the secret agenda community. <laughs> like what is this agenda that somebody else has planned for me that I don't know? Cause there's a lot of them. There's a corporate financial agenda. There's a cultural agenda. There's an international globalist agenda. There are academic agendas that really aren't, Addressing. So those are the things I was really looking into. Um, but so Bill Cooper, I think his work, I mean, he rejected kind of the UFO stuff that he got into. But I think that he was really trying. Mm. And I think that he he and Dave McGowan comes to mind, uh, who was, I was fortunate to know. They were really the two people who keyed into 9-11 the same day. So it was really, for me, it was Bill Cooper and Dave McGowan. I was fortunate to know Dave McGowan. I was on a show with Dave McGowan. I went to his book signing of... Uh, the soup in LA when he published Weird Scenes, which is very influential. All his books are influential. Program to Kill is still bouncing around. People are still going back to look at that as something about the whole serial killer phenomenon in the United States. Hmm. But um, he was really one of the greats. And uh, so I would say Cooper. I mean, Cooper has a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff. And McGowan was an atheist, I think. I'm not an hmm. atheist. So, um, I had different things, but I think he was he was really trying to tell the truth. I thought I thought McGowan was so and Cooper. So and that's probably why Cooper I don't think the story of Cooper's you know, he was probably targeted. I mean, I've seen people die, so many journalists and stuff like that. Hastings, I live in LA. Michael Hastings had his car blown up here, right on uh, Melrose and uh Highland. So I mean that's under that's a pretty dicey thing. I'm used to it, you know, I'm used to all that stuff. Yeah. So I want to ask you, was there ever a, a case or anything you looked into rolling into the investigation, going through the process that you literally were like, we're throwing this out. It, it's too dark. It's too deep. I can't handle it. What, did you ever, you always got to the bottom of everything, didn't you? Well, you know, you go through and you go, is this baloney? Like I took a lot well, of flack for saying that the Hampstead was a hoax. Everybody bought that story. The two kids were getting hit in the face with a spoon coming mm -hmm. back from Morocco as like a real satanic thing. There's tons of really satanic influence crimes. I mean, I went into West Memphis three, but yes. when you go, I mean, I kind of like my sensibility was to really get to the bottom of these things. So that was it from the very beginning. What's the real truth? Now, like I said, it's, it didn't come out of some, void it, it came out of years of experience of listening to bad jobs i mean i looked at the west memphis three and at that time when i wrote that and same with crowley actually there were so many people who got things wrong or uh, uh, excise people people would talk about crowley as like a dabbler that's whenever i see dabbling in the occult like i like inside of my brain my eyes roll in my back and my head because crowley was anything but a dabbler he was probably one of the most accomplished written the history of written 
occultists in history uh, because of the present age. Maybe Simon Magus out of the Bible, who apocryphally contested with Peter, um, but and was you know is in the Bible mentioned in the Bible of Magus. Mm -hmm. But I think that mm -hmm. I've never really backed down. Like even the smiley face killings, I like these are original perceptions in my mind. Crowley, don't know much about him, uh, not very deep. And then I started writing, and then I was like, he dedicated his whole life all the way to the end to the occult. West Memphis yep. Three. And then I was like, oh, they were they're wrongfully accused, and there must have been some technicality, so they got out. And then I started reading. I'm like, no, 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 no. These guys were guilty twice. They're still guilty. And there's tons of evidence. There's a mountain of evidence. And it's all been re-verified by the um, uh, the appeals court in, in Arkansas. So that was another one. Then, like, looking at how much Crowley's influence, it's all over the place. It's secret. It's sub rosa, but it's still there. So my perceptions change with a kind of deeper inquiry. But I don't think I've shied away from any of the hardcore stories because, like, the Smiley Face Killer story is really hardcore. It means that there is, like, two to 300 guys who met their death, some kind of really horrible story of death that the very few people have keyed into. Like yeah. The guys who really, really courageous, the uh, Gilbertson and Gannon, I give them full credit. They really were the mm -hmm. ones who first publicly talked about the pattern. But it's still going on. Chicago had like, like five or ten deaths right back to back to back to back within a very short three or four month period. Right after COVID kind of we were coming out of being locked down. So and I watched those cases like that's another one like, oh, smiley face killing urban myth. This is a funny ghost story fireside chat where people can get freaked out and then i watched the phenomenon happen to two guys joey labute and dakota james mm. uh, joey labute in columbus ohio dakota pittsburgh pa and i was like pittsburgh PA. i'm watching him i'm watching him disappear being missing for three weeks and then being found in water so i mean it's it's a real phenomenon and when they were found in water what it wasn't like they spent the whole time that they were missing in water right, so right. that's the I've real heard problem you too, about yeah. this yeah and this gets my wheels spinning i mean i have ideas but it, the occult i think it just bleeds into so many areas that a lot of people aren't aware of and not everything is is occult driven in my opinion i don't know much but just from when i look at it sometimes it just has that essence with it where you're like this is super dark and it's connected I don't think it's all occult driven. Like there's a lot yep. of these really hardcore, dark, international dark rooms, red rooms, they call them. These are real. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one in the Philippines. I don't know if all those people are occult, like outright occultists. But if you're really into the doctrines of the occult, those are the ideas that will lead you to do <clears throat> these dark things. Like if you're a do what thou wilt, then it's like I do whatever I want. I don't care. Who cares if I hurt somebody else? Who cares if that's the thing? Yeah. So. The ones that I, I mean, it is interesting looking back at kind of my research, how much of that. And I think it was from the ignorance of thinking that this doesn't exist. Like mm -hmm. I had a superficial understanding, like how, are they, I mean, I've heard of Manson, I heard of the family, I've heard of, but are people really seriously involved in these groups that have secrecy and the bonding rituals and things that they do like a, like a, mm. like not like the Crips or something, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and the answer is, yeah, yes, they did. I mean, I, I'm, I've answered that to my own personal satisfaction. That's As a person who was never involved in like a cult or anything. Yeah. That's scary because 
there's a lot of people that, well, not many people that learn that the hard way, either from uh, you know, coming across an experience or, you know, being a little too close for comfort. And then, you know, majority of people just have no idea what's really going on at times. I see a lot of us, the symbolism, right? You see, it especially in music and now there's something to that. Now, obviously, I like to consider like, okay, well, who was the producer of that song? Okay, the same producer who did the song. So maybe it's just a style they're going for, but it's never quite as it seems at first glance. As I'm kind of learning, it's always kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And it's always a little bit deeper and darker, more twisted than um, what could first be thought of or identified by what, you know, whatever internet YouTube video that you come across. And they're like, oh, this is pump the brakes, slow down, do the research, let the time set in. And, and like you said, even just now talking with you, I'm like, I get that feeling. You got that look in your eyes, man. Like when you said, I don't back down, like I'm getting to the bottom of the barrel in any case that you put your mind to. We need to see that more men and women today. We need to see that kind of audacity where it's like, uh, I think Thomas Jefferson said it like this. He said, listen, float with the current easily when it comes to, um, the simple and easy things, right? But be a unmovable rock when it comes to morals, right? When it comes to the truthful things. I'm paraphrasing him there, but in a nutshell, that's one of the quotes that, that I really liked by him because what it did for my mind is, is go, I'm a rare breed. It, even if I am of that stock, I don't know. I like to think that I'm, I'm on the path of trying to figure some of this stuff out. And I look at a guy like you and there's plenty of other people I'd plug in that category where I'd go, you know what? We don't have everything right. I believe each one of us has a little something wrong, but when people are in it for the right reason, right? When you are involved with no ulterior motive of mind, other than the fact that like the in the Bible says this, have no works with fruitless seeds unfruitful. of darkness, right? You got to expose that. Yeah, unfruitful right? things of darkness, but expose them, right? That's uh, yes. And all Ephesians 6, 12. No, is that mm -hmm. I can't remember. No, that, yeah, that's Ephesians 5, 12, I want to say, but I can't remember. Can I, can I read something here real quick? Yeah, sure, please. So I wrote this down years ago. I'm not a religious guy. I believe and I have my reasons to believe what I believe, but it was about eight years ago that I surrendered my heart to uh, Christ. Okay, I didn't grow up in the church. It was kind of like one of those Easter Christmas um, church guys. And I read a couple books and I was literally being challenged. My mind is... <laughs> I had to reinvent myself. I had to lose the old identity and, and learn how to operate differently. And this quote right here, it's not a, not a Bible quote, but it struck me then as it does every time I read it now. So it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of good deed could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly. He knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions. He spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. That was Teddy Roosevelt. And where's that generation at? You know, for all the listeners out there right now, you guys, where's that generation at? This is this is a calling to just be serious about 
the way you're processing the information that is floating around out there, whatever camp you're coming from, I believe there's a middle ground. I think it starts first and foremost with humility and listening a little bit more than we talk and giving credit where credit's due and being in the arena and not complaining so much when we're getting roughed up a little bit. That builds character, by the way. I mean, I think from the Christian, when you mentioned Paul, like he says, you are going to yeah. have these conflicts. Even Christ does too, right? Like it, they don't lay it out like <laughs> this is a big a field of roses. You're going to be yeah. at peace. No, it's the opposite. Limping you're going to be reviled out. for my name. You're going to be reviled for my name. You're going to be persecuted. I mean, the, the Beatitudes is like, blessed those who are persecuted for righteousness. Mm. It happens. So, I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't like I didn't, I wasn't naive about that. Mm. I, mean, yeah. I had some incredible, I've had incredible experiences. I cannot divulge. I cannot divulge them. Share one or two with me. You can't see that? No, one no, two. I can't. Jeez, no. okay. Yeah. Make me wait, man. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot, you know, so I don't know. So I think that um, I think that what we're doing right now is of great uh, benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. That's I mean, can you believe that we live in a country that they're actively censoring people like it's incredible. They're not even giving them the, their constitutional prerogative right like i mean these yeah. companies all had the benefit of the constitution for their rights to create their businesses under yeah. the law but you don't get it passed through it's unbelievable and the fact that i mean they're finding out these these lawsuits that are coming out of the midwest i think it was schmidt from missouri maybe who is starting to get these documents from the cdc and fauci that the government and these guys are actually coming in behind the tech companies to selectively censor people that is textbook fascism that is dangerous it's evil. Yeah. We've already gone through this fascist past. We know it's bad. We don't want to re-go through this. So these people need to be brought into some form of account for their wrongdoing. And I don't think that the current, I won't even, I mean, I, it's called the department, it's a department of J. I can't even say that word applying mm. to the current DO, DOJ. I can't even yeah. say that word. So we're, we, we're in a difficult spot. I don't trust these people to do the right thing at all. I don't think the justice is going to come out of Washington. As somebody who's lived there, it's going to come from the states. People coming up through the states. I wouldn't even go through Washington. I would just go through your state rep, your state legislature, your governor. That's probably much more efficacious spending of time of the actual individual than. Yeah, I love the fact. That's that you... my advice. You said you're acting for advice. <laughs> that would be mine. And that's put everything great. in writing. Put everything yeah. in writing. Like, I don't agree with this. I don't want this. I don't I don't think that this is right. I don't think that this kind of censorship is, is productive because you need – we're uncensored right now. We're exchanging information. That's how you kind of build on or we can say, you know, iron sharpens iron, whatever. A lot of the times people are using all of their energy and their focus, right, to just complain and nothing else. And it's like literally right. go plug yourself in. Right. If you don't like the way the school system's working, go donate some time there. Be a part of that. Go observe. Right. Absorb what's going on there. And, and or homeschool your kids. Right. Or homes. We're kind of in this nice little bubble here in Southeastern PA where it's not too bad, but we're we're very we're we're in the heat of it. Okay. We're in the midst of a lot of chaos. And um, yeah, walking by faith and not by sight is more. It's imperative. We we who claim to believe in the faith or, or god i think that's gonna be tested but what i was getting at william is like i see a very 
very small amount of people that are actually walking what they're talking. So like, I love the fact that we have the opportunity, like today's the day, right? It's like, we don't want to be the wicked person who's like, we're holding on to our money. We're desiring to make more money. And every morning we wake up and we're, we're counting our seeds and saying, ah, tomorrow I'll go out and plant. I don't think that's, that's the right mentality. I think literally today's the day, like talk with your neighbors. I'm not talking about extremism. I'm not telling people, oh, go start this or that. No, by the way we carry and conduct ourselves is going to be how people are attracted to us as if we're the salt of the world. Right. And I love, um, honestly, I love the diversity of the people that I've had on the show just because it, I'm trying to demonstrate guys respectful conversation, first off, and uh, treat an elder like an elder, right? You, you know, give them some honor and hear people out. And man, I, I literally, I just wanted to compliment you on this because I was, you're, you've been in my ear the last couple of days, obviously, as I've been prepping, you know, and just kind of like listening to to some of your, your stuff over there on the podcast. And I'm thinking, there's only a couple people that got you like upset. Like there's people trying to talk over you and being disrespectful <laughs> and you're, you're still, yeah, you're giving them space. You're like, all right, good. And then the one guy you're like, everything you got, like give me everything before I respond at all. Cause the guy had a tendency of just trying to steamroll you. And I'm like, you don't see that either. Right? Like they're like demonstrating just how to have a good disagreement is so important. People are so emotionally involved that as soon as their emotions are, oh, I, I'm, my feelings are hurt, or the way that I view this isn't being accepted, so all of a sudden I can't even handle myself. I can't even look this person in the eyes and carry out a cordial conversation. So I, I, I wanted to compliment you on that because I listened to a lot of different shows and some really wild stuff going on, man. <laughs> it's a lot different. I, I think I try to keep my show, I don't try to like, it's not a comedy show, but I don't mind conflict. I mean, I had the two flat earth guys. Those are probably the worst ones, like where we argued the most. I mean, some of these subjects I know pretty well. I know the West Memphis Three pretty well. I've had the misfortune of studying mm -hmm. a lot of Crowley. I'm not a practitioner. So, you know, these are subjects that I know. So when somebody like starts putting in PR stuff or nonsense, like I just had one recently, <laughs> a woman, she just repeated everything from their West Memphis Three PR for like 90 <laughs> minutes, man. It was incredible. It was like just firing everyone. Okay. But the thing is, is that I've been, you know, rebutting or responding to those for a decade. Like I wrote that book a decade ago. That was 10 years ago. So, I mean, I've seen all the arguments. I know them all. I know, I know that case record pretty, pretty well. Now, William, I want to ask you, what do you think is the most important message for the millennial generation today? Yeah, what's the most important message? I think you have to see the spiritual events that are happening today. Like you're seeing the days of Noah come in right now, in my opinion. Like the book of Revelation is unraveling as we speak in a strange way. Like imagine a, do uh, a document that people looked at mm -hmm. in, the, in the standard canon and said, why is this book here? I think even Luther wanted to take the book of Revelation out because he couldn't see its application like you just thought it was some kind of weird dream but you're seeing it right now like these people have very dark views towards other people and you have to really be careful like the people who didn't see what was happening with the nazis they didn't see what could happen exactly so you really have to see what's happening now so i would say i mean this and that goes back to the spiritual worldview christian worldview um, but you have to kind of get it yourself i don't i mean hmm. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. 
and ruminate on yourself and pray about yourself. That for me was the most important thing, not to actually see what somebody else was saying about it, but see, see for, I think the gospels are very well written. Somebody put a lot of thought and effort in there because there's even things in there that you wouldn't even include in a sermon or something like they clearly are just trying to be as authentic to the story because there's a lot, I mean, even like the Lord's, uh, you know, railing in Jerusalem, like you almost never hear that. That's why you have to read it yourself. The greatest love story ever told, yeah. right? But I mean, it's more than that because yes, it's not just, I mean, you can see like, Hey, this is the end. How can you escape damnation? Uh, it's it, he was against the kind of injustices of the time. That's why he ended up the way it did. I mean, it all had to happen for it all happened for a reason. But a lot of that stuff that those narratives are left out, I think, and it may not just because it's just not a right or the right place for a pulpit on a Sunday. It's not a moral yeah. lesson, but I think it is a moral lesson. <laughs> I would so I recommend I highly recommend people get a good copy of uh, the Bible. That advice would be contrary to like what the Catholic Church says, right? It's like absolutely the priest um, can tell you what's in there. Hey, but you know, there's priestcraft, there's also pastor craft. They yes, uh, yes. The modern Protestants aren't immune, they would love to point at the priests for their sins, which are manifold. Everything I look at on my show is through what I consider to be a biblical filter. My aspirations hey. outweigh my education all day, every day, but the way I look at it is. If I'm not focusing on loving my neighbor, right, and if I'm not focusing on, like, being the head of my household, which means I'm trying my best, failing all the time. I'm not a good example of this, but I try to carry out the fact that I include God in everything. I try to read daily, and I'm trying to honor my wife and, and my three kids. I'm trying to literally give them the best that I can offer. I didn't come from a rich family. I didn't come from a college family. Uh, very hardworking class people that I come from, and that's that's, like the forefront of my battle, like everything, like I, I made a post recently where I'm saying, listen, I'm a part-time podcaster working on my relationship with God as I fail forward and my wife and my workflow in that order, most important things, hands down, all that other stuff, super important. And that's why it's like, I feel like we have such an issue with calling men forward because men can't even figure out what they believe first and foremost. So how are they going to be able to walk in and have you know, that power with them because they believe something that they're, they're, placebo effect, right? There's power in belief, man. We can prove that just through scientific observation of a doctor giving you a sugar pill and you can heal whatever your ailment is. Let's say you have a headache or inflammation in your knee and he gives you a sugar pill, but you're actually able to, your body's so wonderfully and fearfully created, it can heal itself. So there's power in belief, even on the bad side and the good side, there's power in both of them, but there's a power source the camp of light, you know, God and his, his son, who he loved dearly, who covered that chasm in order for us to have the audacity to challenge these things, knowing right from wrong. And, and I think about this and it's like, we got to stir up men to be excited about the Bible, right? Like they're always excited about like whatever the cool new movie is or, you know, whatever football comes on. And believe me, I played football for years, love football, but to be more excited about those things, and completely blinded to the reality of the destruction that is going on all around us on so many different levels. I can't even get into the topic because I'll just, I'll start stumbling over myself. It goes so deep and it's so dark. A lot of the times it can be too late for people. 
And that hurts if you actually love your neighbor to see people destroying themselves. Because I was that guy eight years ago. You know, I believe in the power of sanctification. And I believe in the power of literally forgiving people. Start there. And hey, to, to any listeners out there, start with forgiving yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. We need to call these men to come forward and have some backbone. You guys need to figure out what you believe in. And listen, if you disagree with what I believe in, cool, man. I still want to talk with you. I still want to hear what you have to say. I'm not trying to ask you to believe in what I believe or try to reiterate what William believes. I, but believe something. <laughs> believe something in the days we live in and make a choice. Because you're right, William, with all of this going on, it's not very good right now. I try to use every opportunity I can. I do a lot of what I do on like a one-on-one -on -one basis, but these opportunities for me are so unique. I'm, I'm so happy that I'm able to talk with you and, and connect on this level. It feels good, man. It yeah, feels good. Me too. I mean, I think that's kind of like why I put a lot of my stuff out there is like, they can look and go, <laughs> okay, this is what he thinks. At any given time, somebody can go back through on whatever subject. I do try to research all my books and, all those mm -hmm. issues. I don't go into them blind. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really done a show really, maybe one or two where I didn't really try to prepare and have be thoughtful. Mm -hmm. So you can look at all as I've done a lot of Christian shows. I mean, I have a whole mm -hmm. set aside Christianity today, just like a whole podcast by itself. If you just want to focus on that, but I don't mind talking to other people. I've talked to a lot of mm -hmm. Jews. I've talked to uh, Catholics, I've talked to, <laughs> I talked to a Gnostic the other day or, it's a lot of a lot of problems from a Christian perspective, but I've talked to a couple of Gnostics actually, but I'm not afraid to talk about it. But I haven't changed my, I they haven't changed my outlook in any way. I think I've talked to a couple of cultists too, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think it, I think that that's the benefit of it being there is that somebody can come back and go, okay, I'm interested in seeing this. They get edified and not entertained. We kind of are drowning in entertainment. We're over inter and infotained right now, or sports tamed or something. So. Yeah, it's much better for people to get edified and really see these uh, very important topics that Im impact. Things aren't going to get better. This inflation is not good. Um, open borders yeah. isn't good. Huge financial interest buying up houses so that the middle class can't buy or own anything is a disaster. The World Economic Forum is a disaster. So we're up against real different enemies it's much easier to identify the enemies of in world war ii mm. than the ones now because it's much more three-dimensional you're 100 right about that yeah my mind does this you ready as i'm agreeing with you and and i i see what i see that's going on my little glimmers into certain things that really bother me i think thank god i'm reminded of he who's brave is the majority like, even if there's, like, one or two of you. So, like, even if, like, nobody else comes up and, like, gets a backbone and actually starts to, like, deal with these things, we're the majority, man. I truly believe that power is going to come from the big guy up top, man. Uh, it's his will that works through us and in us and causing us to do his, his good work. And, man, Amen. William, dude, I really enjoyed this conversation. And it's, like, I got a lot from it. Honestly, I'm trying to model a little bit of my show after what I see you doing, which is covering such a diversity of topics that nobody can just slap a label on. Like, yeah, people may say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist or, oh, you're cool with that group of people. It's like, listen, I'm cool with anybody who knows how to be cool. But like we can meet and have these conversations. And there's, I tell people all the time on the show, it's like, I don't agree with everything I hear on my show. I'm not asking anybody to agree with everything they hear. 
if you're tuning in, but use your critical thinking, make your own choice, right? Just right, and you can pick and choose, and right? Yeah. Just chopping it up on those topics is, is a good way because anything that we may share or have experienced or digging into, that could be the survival guide for somebody else you've never met before. So true. You know, you could so be saying true. a key part that they needed to hear in order to like get over a fear or to to make a connection like we don't know how far the ripple effect goes well like individually we have no idea how deep it goes i believe someday we're gonna know william someday we're gonna see the marvel of you know, oh my gosh like here i am thinking i was like you know doing something great here and like everything that really great was happening was just i've had very strange events <laughs> like i wasn't really that much that public until maybe the last three or four years i was kind of just writing books but even then when I put stuff out, people would not recognize me. I'd be at the store or something like that. It's like Fight Club or something. They would just look at me and go, and I would look back at them and go, and that was it. We didn't ever exchange words. I'd be in line just, you know, checking out with groceries. People do. And I go, it's pretty funny. That, what, that, my point is, is that's the ripple. I don't know. I've been on, that's why I almost go on every show that invites me. I don't know where it goes. Like I was on, I've been on so many different shows, different types of people, different Christian fringe. When I first came out, I first wrote my first book. I was on Christian fringe shows. Mm. You know, they weren't, I never got, I'm, I don't think I, maybe Skywatch. I can't think of really any big Christian show or, or anything church or anything that's ever invited me. <laughs> <laughs> These small shows, but then people go, man, his ideas, they sound crazy. And then they go, hmm, let me check this out a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've never been called to go on a pulpit or anything like that. But it does. I mean, the the power of this thing is this ripple effect. You don't really know. I don't know. There's a couple messages and emails that um, I remind myself of when I'm like kind of like going through a season where it's like, oh, this is you know something's coming up against you and it's just consuming all of that time and you're kind of feeling that negative vibe coming off on you. There's a couple people that have very in a very short manner true to the point delivered some information to me that when i read it i knew it's almost like when you, you're just saying you look at somebody else and they have that look and you just nod your head when i read that message I, I just knew i could feel this is a real person who's dealt with real issues who really got something out of i don't know some people call it a ministry i don't know i just call it a podcast i'm the guy next door i'm asking weird questions i'm, I'm you know chopping it up trying to learn trying to have a wider spectrum than just what YouTube is willing to show me. Right. Yeah. And YouTube is not good. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I watch YouTube all the time to learn how to like fix a part of my car. Like what I'm right. doing. Like, I do I too. I use it for that <laughs> too. Yeah, but the, you can go down some really weird. You spend an hour or two on YouTube, start with one video and just literally document where you go and where you end up. And it's like that's not by accident. So I have had people call my show a ministry though. That is interesting. Like, I don't think of it as a ministry. I think of it more of like information, like kind of evergreen information, I think is would be accurate. But, you know, mm. I do a lot of, I mean, most of my stuff is, it's all like the, the substructure is all Christian. It's not as overt. Not a big fan of the way that history has been when we look at what the church has done and what's been going on and all the division. I'm not a big fan of that. I have a better idea of what the future could look like if we introduced some humility and we started to allow the minors to be with the minors and the majors with the majors on the important topics when it comes to the church, right? But 
I was in a parking lot and I'm just doing what it is that I do It's like, I will talk with, I'm like a magnet for people just like talking with me, which I, I love that, you know? And this older Italian guy, we're, we're talking, you know, I'm like, dude, I got like five minutes. Like I never met this guy before. I'm kind of like, Hey, I got to get moving half an hour into it. <laughs> you know, he's got me on the line. I'm like, we're chopping up going back and forth. And he stops and puts his hands on his hips and squints at me and gets real close and says, you should be a minister. You should get out of that clothes and go dress up and be a minister. And I said, I am a minister. I'm ministering to you right now. I'm like, why do you think I need, you know, he obviously came from a Catholic background. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm out here in a muscle shirt and shorts, you know. That's ministry, where it happens, man. Most of the real ministry, and a lot of my listeners know this, and um, friends and family, like it happens in the parking lot doesn't happen in the four corners it doesn't mean it can't happen in those four corners i don't want to rob nothing from them i believe there's people that are diligent it says you do good to all but especially to those of the house of the lord if they're preaching christ crucified and resurrected listen i support you ministry happens outside of that too but it takes a backbone to be in god's calling and to and to do that kind of stuff man i look at your show as a ministry you don't need to throw a christian late a lot of times i deal with people i don't even talk about like i don't bring bible verses up I just talked to him about, listen, this is what I really had dealt with. You're telling, you're telling me what you're going through. I'm reciprocating you on what I did, how I felt people build, they build trust with you. And then they start to go, man, what's different about you? And it's like, bro, I repented. There was a lifting off of my soul. I mean, that in my experience, people just getting on their level, meeting them where they're at. But I feel like there's, there's some importance here. When you see evangelists running around out there with the Bible and they're just like, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. It's like, you have no idea if the ripple effect in that person's life right now is stirring them to come to the, the identification of, I need to repent and I've been living wrong, right? And yeah, something's not right with my life. I don't like my outcomes. I need to change. And, and um, literally uh, in the British military, they would march and say, repent, and they would turn, right? Like I literally need to turn from this way that I've been going and reinvent myself. But people want to run around out there and slap them with you know, a book from some, I don't know, seminary school guy has a piece of paper and he's saying do it this way or else you're not included i think we're missing the very people we're going after by doing it that way so and i'm not saying it's wrong there's times where it's like listen have you heard the good news but meeting people where they're at if you guys believe this be genuine slow down pay attention watch try to fish you know try to feel what people are going through like we've all been there none of us are exempt William, keep exposing the darkness. Do not grow weary in doing good, man, because in due season, we're going to reap. We're going to reap, man. Thank you. Likewise, it's been great to be with you. Do you have anything you want to add before we uh, hit the non-record button? Time's short. Time is short, so good talk, man. Yeah, likewise. Great to be with you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. You are the reason. And you're worthy of my praises I pray to you every day just like David You took me from the streets But you brought me back to you You cleaned up my life because this is what you do People got their opinions But I'm sticking to the course Miss Cappy just passed and showed me life is truly short You are the reason why I gotta keep rapping I'm grateful for your love And no, I'm not acting You are the reason I'm grateful You're worthy
I'm grateful for your mercy that you had on my life Even when I was getting high, I would talk to you at nights I seen people die from the same things I did At 25 years old, I had my first kid My life started to change, I knew I wanted better In my lifetime, yeah, I seen a lot of cheddar People got hurt, family members turned to me My heart needed real repair, I needed surgery You came through in the clutch even when I gave up Lord, you are my savior, so I'm never giving up You're worth of the praises, that's why I sing praises I love you, Jesus Christ, that's why you are my savior You know what, Lord? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even be here You know, everybody might not understand my calling on life But I know you do, and I'm thankful for you You One day I can hire you are the reason 